much fun. Welcome to Leviticus, everybody. Welcome online, all of our campuses. Are you excited about Leviticus? I know, I know, I get it. I always caution people when they want to read through the Bible. I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a library of books, okay? You don't have to read it through all from cover to cover in order. Uh, maybe start with the New Testament because here's what's going to happen. You're going to get through Genesis and Exodus. You're going to get to Leviticus, and it's going to get kind of tough. Now, there's some helpful stuff in there if you want to use Scripture to twist it around and, you know, help your own cause from time to time. Like, let's just say, for example, your wife, you're going out to some event with your wife, and she wants you to dress up a little bit more than you normally do, guys. You know, like wear a shirt with buttons on it and stuff. And, and, and maybe there's like mixed fabric in it. It's like a poly blend or something. It's pretty simple. All you got to do is pull out, uh, sorry, honey, Leviticus 19.19, do not wear clothing with two kinds of fabric. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. I'm going to wear my bear sweatshirt. It's 100% cotton. Or, or let, what, what if it, you know, she's giving you a hard time about your uh, spare tire that you've been cultivating around your midsection, you know? It's like, you know, you probably ought to lose a little weight. You got, you got Leviticus 3.16, which is so cool because it's like John 3.16. I dare you to hold this one up at a football game. All the fat belongs to the Lord, baby. Come on. I'm just worshiping Jesus right here. Come on. Don't you want to see Tebow with Leviticus 3.16 on his eye sometime? I do. For the most part, Leviticus is, is difficult. Because you're cruising through Genesis, you, <laughs> Exodus, you got, you got Adam and Eve naked in the garden, score, right? You got Noah on the first cruise ship. Abraham's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Jacob steals Esau's inheritance. Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. So cool they made a musical about it. You got Charlton Heston showing up with the burning bush and the Red Sea splits and the golden calf. 40 seasons of lost episodes in the desert. And then you get to Leviticus. And it's purification after childbirth, and how to cook your steak well done, and contagious skin diseases, and rules about which family members you can and cannot marry. What am I, Arkansas? Bring on March Madness. This is crazy. I don't need this anymore. But, but I want to tell you that all, uh, all the Bible is there for a reason. I really, really believe that God put us all, all of this there for a reason. And if you're struggling with Leviticus, that's what I want to help you with today. And, and I think it's a beautiful book when you understand the meaning of it. I would imagine that little Jewish kids, as they were learning this, had the same reaction that you and I do. Like, why do I need to know all this stuff? At which point, a wise parent, a wise rabbi would sit them down and say, children, let me tell you why Vaikra is so important. That's what they called Leviticus. And he would proceed to tell them about the holiness of God, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. And how do we get close to the holiness of God? Because it is a difficult balance. God is our Father, but He's holy, and He's reverent, and He's awesome, and He's powerful. So how do we balance that? How do we approach Him? How do we even do church for example, where does reverence fall into that whole thing? Um, here's one kid's idea, doing baptism. As I understand it, that was the pastor's son, and uh, that ought to explain a whole lot. And by the way, that's who I am, so that ought to explain a whole lot about the whole reverence idea, you know, in church and how that works together. But you got to love the enthusiasm of the kid. I wish that some of you were ready to unite in the waters of baptism that, you know, eagerly. Not like now, don't run up here and jump in, but theoretically, if you haven't been baptized by immersion, I want to tell you, Jesus did it for crying out loud. Everybody ought to do it. 
and we're going to do it in Palm Sunday. Mass baptisms are Palm Sunday, April 8th and 9th. We invite all of you to be here that weekend. There will be a live goat because um, we're going to talk about the scapegoat concept. And I realize every time I say that, people are like, are you going to kill it? Is this going to be a sacrifice? No, 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 no. The, the, the scapegoat was one that they led off with the sins on it, okay? Just want to, you know, mom, it's going to be okay, all right? But, but that's going to be a really cool weekend, Palm Sunday. Be here for that. We're going to talk about getting our sins taken away from us, and baptism would be a great time doing it. But, but the balance of Leviticus is about the laws and the sacrifices, and, and it's also that we can understand how great and holy God is. It's so that we can understand how to approach that great and holiness. Again, the Jews call Leviticus by its first word, which is so, such a beautiful word, vaikra, vaikra, which means, and God called. Let's process that. God called. God has always wanted a relationship with us. The problem is that God is way up there and we are way down here. He is holy, which means set apart, which means different in a better way, in always perfect. The Hebrew word for that is kadash, kadash. You kind of have to say it with a Go ahead and say it, kadash, kadash, right? And bless you. Um, the, the problem is you just broke Levitical law by spitting on the person in front of you, and now they are unclean for seven days. But that, that's how it works, right? Holy is different in a better way. And we're supposed to worship the, the Lord our God in the splendor of his holiness. Holiness seems to be quality number one whenever anybody gets a glimpse of God. For example, in Revelation, John gets a glimpse of heaven and what it's going to be like. And he says, the angels are standing around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah in the Old Testament saw the angels. Guess what? Same song. First verse, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in ancient language, to repeat a word twice was to give it extra emphasis, okay? When your parents were mad at you, sometimes they would say your name twice and add the middle name if they were really mad at you, right? But, but that, that gives it more emphasis. To say it three times was the ultimate description. For those of you that remember math, twice is holy squared and three times is holy cubed. Squared is a number times itself. Cubed is a number times itself, times itself again. In other words, Figuratively speaking, it was infinity. So when they say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they're saying infinity, holiness, 3D holiness, holy high, holy deep, holy wide. That's who God is. If there's one word that describes who God is, it's the word holy. Is that important? J.I. Packer says people say they believe in God, but they have no idea who that is that they believe in or what difference believing in him may make. So yeah, I agree with that and I think it does make a difference if we understand who God is. And who God is, is holy. Let me describe his holiness. Isaiah caught a vision of him in heaven and here's what he saw. I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of the robe filled his temple. And above him were seraphs, the angels. And again, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
So what is holiness out of here? Well, for one thing, he is high and exalted. That's one of the qualities of holiness, that he is up there, removed from us, away there, removed from us. He is not close to us. He's bigger than us. He runs our universe. He's high and exalted. The second word that I see in there that gives me a quality of holiness is he is glorious. His glory is like sunlight that just spills out of him on all sides at the same time. Then he goes on and he says, at the sound of the voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Third quality of holiness I see in there is cleanness. God is clean, perfect. Have you ever been in a situation where you showed up to a gathering, a party, or an event of some kind, and you thought the dress code was casual, and you got there, and everybody else was dressed up, everybody else was in suits and ties and dresses, and all of a sudden, you feel like, oh, man, I didn't realize I was underdressed until I got here. If you would have asked Isaiah if he was unclean before he came into the presence of God, He would have said, no, I'm not unclean. I'm clean. I've been following God's commands. I've been doing the sacrifices. I've been living the law. I'm a prophet for crying out loud. But one glimpse of God and all of that changed. All Isaiah could do was fall down on his knees and say, woe is me. I thought I was pretty good until I looked into the reality of the holiness of God. That's what holiness looks like. And even in the, in the garden, okay, before man sinned, mankind was never going to be high and exalted, and we were never going to be glorious, but we were still clean in our holiness. So Adam and Eve could walk, they could be naked and unafraid, and they could walk with God in the garden in a perfect relationship because that cleanliness, that holy part of, of being clean together, it, it all went together and they could walk together. But then Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. This is uh, someone's adaptation of Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, male in his own image and female in his own image. And God looked upon man and woman and saw that they were lean and fit. God populated the earth with broccoli and cauliflower and spinach and green vegetables so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. And God said, it doesn't get any better than this. So the devil created McDonald's. McDonald's brought forth the Big Mac, and the devil said, do you want fries with that? And the man said, supersize me. So God created healthful yogurt and the woman, so the woman might keep her figure, but the devil brought forth chocolate. And God said, try my f- fresh salad, and the devil brought forth Ben and Jerry's. And God said, why dost thou eatest thus? I have sent thee heart, healthy vegetables, and olive oil in which to cook them. So the devil brought forth chicken fried steak so big it needed its own platter. And man's bad cholesterol went through the roof. So God brought forth running shoes, and the man resolved to lose those extra pounds. So the devil brought forth HDTV and March Madness. (laughs) God brought forth the potato, a vegetable naturally low and fat and brimming with nutrition. And the devil peeled off the healthful skin and sliced the starchy center into chips and deep fat fried them and created sour cream dip. And the man clutched his remote and ate his potato chips, swaddled in cholesterol, and watched March Madness. And the devil saw it, and it was good. And the man went into cardiac arrest. And God sighed and created a quadruple bypass surgery. And the devil canceled the man's health insurance. Amen? (laughs) 
So God showed woman how to peel the skin off a chicken and cook quinoa and Brussels sprouts, which up to this time were known as weeds. And the devil created light beer so man could poison his body while feeling righteous because he had to drink twice as much to get the same buzz. And woman ventured into the land of Godiva chocolate and upon returning asked man, do I look fat? And the devil said, always tell the truth. And man did. And the woman went out from the presence of the man. And the devil said, it doesn't get any better than this. There you go. That's how it goes, okay? Genesis 2 adapted. Adam and Eve are now not clean anymore. They're now hiding. They're now putting clothes on and and that God has to remove them from his presence. Why is that? Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he just say, oh, it's no big deal, kids. You're okay. Here's why. Because God is holy, so he can't be around things that aren't holy. It's not like he's Superman and we're kryptonite. It's like he's the sun and we're everything else now. We're going to burn up. If we get too close to him, this is why God said to Moses in the scene at the burning bush, give you the Charlton Heston version, do not come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy ground. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Bible tells us that when Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, he literally had a God burn on his face. He he was glowing when he came down because he'd been in the presence of God. That's the nature of holiness. As unholy beings, we can't be around a holy God. I have my Thomas the Train up here. Um, Just want you to know that if you don't know my history, I raised three daughters. I never got to play with fun toys before until I finally had a grandson. Hallelujah. I can tell you everything there is to know about Barbies and My Little Pony and American Girl dolls. And do they still have Polly Pockets? I stepped on those all over my house all of my life. But now I have a grandson I can play with Thomas the Train. Every once in a while, my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, as we're playing with Thomas the Train, will be playing on his little track, and he'll have the cars turned around the wrong way. And this will happen. And they won't connect. There's magnets on both sides of this. They're supposed to be like this. They're supposed to be able to connect. But if you turn them the wrong way, the wrong end of the magnets don't attract. They detract. They push away. And he'll ask me to help him so that we can figure out how to get the trains connected. This is exactly what the holiness of God is about. God is here. We are here. And we are desperately unholy fallen beings. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. We are fallen beings spiritually, morally, mentally, and physically. We are fallen in all the ways that man can fall. Each one of us is born into a tainted world, and we must learn, and we learn impurity from our cradles. We nurse it with our mother's milk. We breathe it in the very air. Our education deepens it, and our experience confirms it. Evil impurities everywhere. Everything is dirty. Even our whitest white is dingy gray. Even our noblest heroes are soiled heroes. All of them. And the Bible tells us this very plainly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we can't be connected because we've fallen short of the glory of God and it's just not going to work anymore. So how do we solve this problem? Vaikra. And God called. 
God comes looking for us. God is a God who created us to be in relationship with him, and he wants us to be in relationship with him, and he's always calling us. And just so you know, this is why we do what we do as a church, because we want to help reconnect God with his children. We want to help bring these things back together again like they're supposed to be. That's what we want to have happen. And that's what Leviticus was all about in the Old Testament. It was basically a system so the Jews could be as close to God as they possibly could. i just outline this for you. All right? One through seven is about the sacrifices that had to happen to have a relationship with God. If you are unholy, the only way you can get close to God is, and it's just the law, like the law of gravity for, for sin, blood was required. That's just the way that the universe works. For sin, blood was required, so there were sacrifices. They sacrificed lambs, they sacrificed goats, they sacrificed all kinds of animals so that it would pay for their sin to get them closer to God. Chapters 8 through 10 are about the priests because you can't, as a human being, go into the presence of God and sacrifice. You had to have somebody in front of you. It's no longer that way, but back then you had to have somebody that went for you. So that was about the priests. 11 through 16 was about purity for cleansing and purification from just the normal things that happen in life. There, were, there are some things that are contaminants that, that happen in our body. So that, that's part of that that gets taken care of. And then 17 through 27 are guidelines for holy living. <clears throat> that's where you get the don't eat a rare steak and, you know, all the uh, don't wear the mixed fabric clothing. That, 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 that stuff was all in there. And all of those things were a system that God gave us so that we could be as close to God as possible. Now, really important for me to point out, a lot of the things that God gave them in this system had to do with health concerns that they would not know about for thousands of years until Pasteur you know, figured out germs and all of that stuff along the way. A lot of the things, like for example, th- there's a, a, a restriction in there about when they were supposed to do circumcision. And it was on the eighth day the baby was supposed to be circumcised. Thousands of years later, we now know that was a baby, a boy. Um, <clears throat> Thousands, thousands of years later, we now know that that, that that is the most perfect time for blood clotting to happen. That is the time you will bleed out the least in your entire life is on your eighth day after you were born. God knew all that stuff. And some of this was about germs and, and, and about all that kind of stuff along the way. And, and he was trying to protect us. But what he was doing was he was setting up a system. And it wasn't a system that gave us complete access to him. It was just a system that helped us to understand how far he is removed from us and how much we wish we could be close to him. As the children were Children of Israel were going through the, you know, the whole desert situation. God was like, I want to be with you, so let's do this. Let's set up a tabernacle. It was a mobile temple, if you will, okay? A mobile temple that they would take around with them. There was this covering over here, this big part, and then there was the, the smaller part here with a part behind it. It was the, the tabernacle with the holy place and the holy of holies in behind it. And there were restrictions about who could go in one place or another. And, and what this did was it showed the people, and when they followed it, there was a temple of, uh, there was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day so the people could know that there was a connection between God and this place. And everywhere they went, this went with them, and they traveled around, and they set it up, and they had contact with God. 
And, and it represented the paradox of God dwelling in their midst because at least he was there with them, but they knew they couldn't get too close. Why couldn't they get too close? You saw Indiana Jones, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Could you bring out my ark? This isn't the real one. We didn't find it. <clears throat> Just a replica. Um, don't touch the ark. That didn't work out well for Nadab and Abihu. Just be very careful with the poles. <clears throat> bring it out. Good. I wanted you to see this. We're going to have this during this month so that you could have an understanding of the whole idea of the paradox of God. Inside of the ark were kept the Ten Commandments, um, Aaron's rod that was represented the healing. Okay, so the law was kept in there. A representation of God's healing was kept in there. And a little bit of manna that represented God's provision for them. And, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mean, that, that scene was so fascinating. That, I mean, those of you that remember that old movie, it was so fascinating because literally that was the deal with the ark. It was the place where God was. And it was in the Holy of Holies. So only male Jews could go into the tabernacle. And only the high priest could go into the holy place. And only the high priest, the most high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies. And he could only go in once a year after significant significant cleansing rituals, he would go in and, and offer sacrifices and go in and be in the presence of God. And it was so secluded and, and so, so secure that, that they tied a rope around his leg so that as he was going in, if he went into the presence of the Lord and had a heart attack in the glory of God, he, they would literally have to pull him out with a rope around his leg because nobody else could go in there. And it represented, again, the very clear separation between God and his people, that they couldn't be together, but he wanted to be as close as he possibly could to them. So you, what you've got here is everywhere they went in the desert, they, they would camp, and the different tribes would camp all around the tabernacle and at least know that God was there and at least know that God was in their midst and wish that they could have what you and I have. So why does Leviticus, how does it Leviticus matter to me? Well, the first thing is, we are called to be holy. Warren Wiersbe said it really well. He said this, happiness, not holiness, is the chief pursuit of most people today, including most professed Christians. They want Jesus to solve their problems and carry their burdens. That's what they want to have happen. But they don't want him to control their lives and change their character. It doesn't disturb them at all that eight times in the Bible, God says to his people, be holy for I am holy. And he means it. That's what we're called to. We're called to holiness. Before my wife and I went to the Holy Land for the first time, over to Israel, I was really excited about all the things I was going to get the chance to do. And, and I, I turned to her one day, I said, won't it be great to get to the Holy Land and, and, and climb Mount Sinai and shout the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai? And she said, it'd probably be better if you stayed home and kept them. We're going on a trip to Holy Land if you want to go. Um, <laughs> change of subject. Israel, it's a trip of a lifetime. It's not cheap, but if you want to go with us, we're leading a busload of people. If you want to sign up, October 31st to November 9th, it's going to be a chance to go over and see all the amazing things that are over there. And uh, we've been several times, led several trips over there. Love it. But, 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 but listen, you're not going to become more holy by going to the Holy Land. It should just give you a deeper appreciation for the fact that God did say, be holy for I am holy. 
But secondly, we need to figure out what the true meaning of holiness is. In the Old Testament, there was a holiness call to our lives, and that holiness call was about being separate. It was about be separate. That's what, that's what the Bible said. Be called out and be different. But now we're called to live in the world and be holy. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed to the Father just before he went back to the Father. And he said, Father, I gave them your word, and the godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. Well, wait, hang on a second. I thought all the world's people liked to be around Jesus. Yeah, always around the sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes, right? But he didn't join in their world's ways. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with truth. Your word is consecrated truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission to the world, I will give them a mission. I give them a mission to the world. We're on a mission from God. Blues Brothers had it right. That's what we're here for. So we're supposed to live holiness in the middle of all of that. I had somebody ask me recently if I'd ever written a book, and I realized it's been probably a couple of years since I really mentioned or we've had these available, and I have. I've written one book in my life, and it's about this subject. It's called Life on Mission. It's about the fact that we are called to be witnesses to the people around us. And if you haven't got it, it's available at all of our campuses, also lifeonmission.com. Churches all around the country have done this program to help them figure out how to get back into being in the world. Okay, Because the Amish idea of of being resistant to all the things of the world and being away from the world, that's the Old Testament idea. Holiness is about what's on the inside. Jesus said, it's not what goes in that makes you unclean, it's what what comes out. And he was saying this, he was saying this to the Pharisees who were the holiest people in the world. The Pharisees were the people who, were the, who had these laws, they had these laws figured out so well that they had added laws to the laws so that they made sure that they kept them all. And you know what Jesus called them? He didn't call them, hey, holy people, you're great. He said, you're hypocrites. That's what he called them. You're a bunch of hypocrites because you're all clean on the outside, but the inside is full of dead men's bones. It's a balance. In some circles, holiness is equated with a series of things that we don't do, right? We don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That's how they taught it to me. But, but does that really make the Amish holy people? No, they're doing Old Testament holiness, not New Testament holiness. And I know some of you are like, oh, man, what if Amish people are watching this on the Internet? All right, you feel better? Okay. (laughs) Jesus attracted sinners because his holiness came from deep within, not because of his observance of rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees were always giving Jesus a hard time because he didn't follow the rules and regulations. became friends with an atheist several years ago who lived in our area. His name was Hemet, and he, uh, he was a blogger who called himself the friendly atheist. He was a guy who was trying to connect the, you know, hateful 
faith-filled community with the hateful atheist community and just try to have dialogue and why can't we all get along? And he wrote a book about visiting a bunch of churches as an atheist and what his experience was like. And he lived in our area, so Parkview was one of the churches he went to, and he had a great write-up on us in his book. And as a follow-up to the book, his publisher wanted him to live for six weeks or so with a Christian family and write about that experience. They kind of wanted it to be a you know, reality TV kind of a thing that he could write about in a book. But they wanted the book to sell, so it needed to be a family that was really radically conservative. Interestingly, he was already tutoring a, a kid that was in a family from Parkview at the time. He was training, he was, he was getting his degree in teaching, and I think it was math or something, he was tutoring this kid. So he said, well, what about this family? And the publisher said, I don't think living with that family is going to make a good book because they're basically not weird enough. That's what he said. They were a great Christian family, but they weren't preachy enough. They weren't Amishy enough. They were too normal. Score! That's what Jesus was. I mean, if him would have gone and lived with Jesus, he wouldn't have had much to write about either. Because Jesus was the kind of person that somebody far away from God would want to be around. Was that family still holy? Absolutely. Was Jesus still holy? Absolutely. But it's about living our mission as we're supposed to be living it. Our holiness should look like Jesus' holiness. Holiness is about not being defined by the world, but still being a part of the world, still on mission to the world. We're called to be holy, but we need to understand the true meaning of holiness. And we should appreciate this season of the cross of Jesus. As we look at all of this, please never forget we are not bound by Levitical law anymore, okay? None of it. If you want to give up something for Lent, um, that's great. Uh, that's fine. Um, I've chosen kale, quinoa, and Brussels sprouts <laughs> in case you're interested. If you want to do that, that's fine for you. And, uh, and, and I think fasting is a great idea. I love the whole idea, but it needs to be something for you. It's not going to make you more holy. And if you decide that you want to eat your steak medium rare, that's fine. And if you want to wear clothes with two types of fabrics, that's fine. Tattoos are in Leviticus. They were tattoos for the dead. So they were a very different thing than what we talk about with today's modern tattoos. But either way, we're not bound by Levitical law anymore. That part doesn't matter. If you want to do things, if you want to follow things, that's fine. If you want to fast and give up something, that's fine. But none of that is going to make you more holy in the eyes of God. Eating your steak, medium well, not eating pork, you know, whatever, circumcising your kid, not circumcising your kid, none of that is going to make you or them any more holy in the eyes of God because you can't be any more holy in the eyes of God anymore because we have Jesus. And that's why I want to talk about this as we lead up to Jesus. The Bible says, therefore, the law has become our tutor. It has become our teacher to lead us to Christ so that we can be justified by our faith. All the stuff that you see on the wall, all of our campuses, all the stuff that you see back there, in case you weren't here last week, is the baggage that we're leaving behind. We prayed over him this week. I mean, it really told me a lot about what's going on in your hearts and what's happening. It was really 
great for me and our staff to see. And we've been praying over it, and we welcome you to come in and pray for it, over it. And we also have more stickers if you weren't here and you want to leave a piece of baggage behind, man, just write it down and put it up on the wall. And we're going to leave it throughout the season of Lent so that when we get through with Palm Sunday and the goat has left the building, we're going to take them all down and celebrate Easter all together. But that stuff doesn't define us. Because if you have Jesus, it is you of whom they speak in Revelation, where it says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We're clean. We are already holy and acceptable to God. Here's what Paul said. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. So you've got to decide which way you want to go with this. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all of the commands that are written in God's book of the law. It's one way or the other. Consequently, it is clear, and Paul was writing to a church that was struggling with this. They were new Christians, but they kept going back and trying to make everybody follow the law. Consequently, it is clear that no one can ever be right with God by trying to keep the law. It's just impossible. But Christ has rescued us. Vaikra, God called, and then Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And Paul reminds them, it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. That was part of Levitical law. How was Jesus executed? He was hung on a tree, on a a piece of wood, on a cross. And they understood all of that imagery. And they understood that Jesus took the curse from us so that we no longer pay the price for having to perform at at the level that we need to to be holy. That Jesus bridged that between us and him. And we can now live holy lives for God out of gratitude, not out of trying to make a connection. Because now that Jesus is here, we have this. This is us. And understanding this should help us have Easter. Celebrate communion. All of the things that we do when we worship Jesus, we're connected. Some of you are going to be like, oh, Tim, you know, any idea, man? I'm, I've been way too unholy in, in my life. Here, here's what I would say to you. The more unholy your life has been, the more grateful you should be for Easter. That's all there is to it. Jesus told a story to one of the religious leaders who was griping at him for always being around the unholy people. And, and, and Jesus said, well, here's how it goes. Two men owed, he told him a story because he always did that. Two men owed money to a money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had any money to pay back, so he canceled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said, well, I suppose it's the one that had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, nice job, Sherlock. (laughs) Yeah. Does that make you farther away from God? No. The blood of Jesus made this connection happen. just makes you more grateful. That's all there is to it. And it should make all of us grateful. We're going to worship for just a moment, and then we're going to do communion together. And I hope that maybe it will take on a whole new light for you as we do this together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the 
healing and the hope that comes from the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection. And Lord, I just pray that over the next few weeks, we will have a deeper appreciation for what it was because all of these things that we read about in the Old Testament, all of these laws, even the Ten Commandments that we know without a shadow of a doubt are the ways that we ought to live our life, we still can't keep them. There's not a person in here that's kept all of them. Probably not a person that's kept seven or eight of them. I know I haven't. So we know we need you. And we need to worship you. And we need to know that, God, you called us and you called us and you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that whoever believes in him will be connected to the engine again. We will be connected to our Father like they were in the garden, and we will be that connected forever and ever. Help us understand this in Jesus' name we pray.